All right, if you'll stand and turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, we're going to read the entire chapter, verses 1 through 16. And if you're using a pew Bible in front of you, you can find that on page 683. Again, we're reading Isaiah, chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell, in, dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people, from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath, and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. Let's pray. Lord, as we've celebrated your birth these last weeks and months. God, we, uh, we just ask you would help us to remember that uh, uh, you came to save, which we are thankful, but you also came to rule. Lord, may we just, uh, uh, Lord, just give you glory for uh, the power that you have and the power that you will show in Christ's name. Amen. True, there is no other king like King Jesus. That is the triumph of our Savior Jesus Christ, which Isaiah paints for us in Isaiah chapter 11 here. It's really a picture of the triumphant Savior Jesus Christ, no other king. What is interesting, throughout the history of humanity, people have longed for a perfect king. People have longed and even sought for the perfect society with a perfect ruler or perfect king. And perhaps no myth has been as pervasive 
and powerful as that of the legend of Camelot. I'm sure most of you have heard of Camelot. Camelot was portrayed as a perfect kingdom ruled by King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. And of course, King Arthur was humble. He was powerful at the same time. He was brave in battle with his sword, which was named what? Excalibur, you got it. And yet he was meek and kind to his people. He was the perfect king. And then the knights were chivalrous and mighty. They were protectors of women and children, defenders of truth and justice who carried themselves with with great dignity and honor. This is the vision of Camelot. And it shows the deep desire, the longing within the human heart to have a perfectly righteous kingdom led by a perfectly righteous king. And amazingly, the scriptures promise just such a future for God's people. A perfect kingdom ruled by a perfect king. It will be a kingdom filled with peace and joy. A king reigning in righteousness and justice. This is the triumph of the Savior predicted long ago by Isaiah right here in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah is painting us a picture of the Savior's triumph. It's a phenomenal picture we have before us, and I hope that I can present it to you justly. I hope that you will open your hearts and your minds and see with fresh eyes the picture of the triumphant Savior, Jesus Christ here. Because here's what Isaiah wants you to see this morning in the triumph of the Savior. Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. And that is the perfect future rule of Jesus Christ is the glorious hope of all who trust Him as their Savior and King. Now, last Sunday, we heard the announcement of this coming King and His rule. We saw the prophecy of it in two chapters earlier in Isaiah 9, verse 6, where Isaiah tells us, For for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, in other words, the rule, shall be upon his shoulder. The promise of the coming king, it brought hope to God's people who were living in the days of Isaiah and living in the midst of doom and gloom. Why? Because this was no ordinary king. It was Jesus Christ who has come now as our Savior to save us from our sins. But now, as God's people, we wait. We wait for Jesus Christ to come again, not as our Savior, but as our King to establish His perfect rule. This is our hope. This is our glorious hope of all who trust Him as their Savior and King. And so, as you, whatever your plans are this week, Tuesday night, New Year's Eve, and, and going forward, what, however, whatever, as you ring in the new year, let me encourage you, put your hope in this King. Put your hope in what the Scriptures are promising to God's people this morning. You know, Isaiah writes here of five traits for us to see in the triumph of the Savior's King. I want to lay them out for you here this morning, these five traits, and I want you to see them 
with your own eyes in the scriptures here. Number one, that is to see the humble beginnings of Christ's rule. See the humble beginnings of Christ's rule. And that is coming up like a shoot from a stump. Now, at the close of chapter 10, though, what do you see? Uh, If you go back and you read chapter 10 of Isaiah, at the very end of the chapter there, you see a vast forest that is cut down. In fact, notice in your Bibles here, in verses 34 and 30, 33 and 34 of Isaiah 10, it says, Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be honed down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. And so picture in your mind, here God swings his axe, and the vast force of the Assyrian army falls in the land of Judah. Bare stumps as far as the eye can see. No branches swaying in the wind. No birds singing in the trees. There's no life There's no movement. There's no sound. But wait. Something new appears in verse 1 here in the next chapter of Isaiah 11. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And so from one stump, we find a little shoot grows and becomes a branch and it bears fruit. And the fruit it bears is a whole new world with Jesus Christ as its perfect king. But before the shoot grows, there's first the stump of Jesse, signifying that Israel, God's people, the people of God, is like a felled tree. The family line of Jesse, just to give a brief background here, was once the prominent family in all of Israel. The line of Jesse was where all the kings came from, like King David. But Isaiah, here in this chapter, is now talking about a time when that line, the family line of Jesse, has been cut down. Why? Because of their continued rebellion and disobedience against God. In fact, Isaiah has already prophesied that this would happen back in chapter 6 and verse 13, where he says, but as the timberneth and oak leave stumps... When they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. And that's exactly what happened. If you know your history, you know that the Babylonian army invaded the kingdom of Judah. They killed the king and they took God's people captive to Babylon. And with it, their hope was cut down too. And so the image of a tree stump. Perhaps you have a tree stump in your backyard, front yard. Maybe you you can see one. It's really an image of hopelessness. A tree stump. Nothing is more bleak than a stump where a mighty tree once flourished. A stump points to what is desolate, defunct, and even demolished. And so it's somewhat surprising to read that a shoot now will spring forth from the stump of Jesse. I mean, after all, who expects life to come from a tree stump? Because a stump reveals something to us. A stump reveals that a tree has been cut down. But what is forgotten many times is that the roots remain. And so the tree of Jesse has become a stump, but there is also life in the roots of that stump. And it's out of this stump 
that would come a shoot and a branch to fulfill the very promises to David. This branch is none other than the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. In fact, you go to Jeremiah, and there in 23, verses 5 and 6, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. The Lord, our righteous Savior. Listen, that is a perfect title for the coming king. Because if you sit here this morning, righteous today in the sight of a holy God, listen, you can say amen to this verse. For we have no righteousness of our own. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so what righteousness do we have apart from the Lord, our righteous Savior? None. He alone is our righteousness. And this is the shoot. This is the branch that comes up like a shoot from the stump of Jesse. It is the humble beginnings of the Savior's rule. But notice what else Isaiah wants us to see. The second trait, he wants us to see the divine power of Christ's rule. The divine power of Christ's rule, which is endowed or anointed with the Spirit of God. You see, despite Christ's humble origins from the stump of Jesse, there is supernatural power in this branch. Look what Isaiah writes in verse 2. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In other words, Jesus will be perfectly anointed or endowed with the spirit of God. He will be completely anointed with the spirit of God. It says in Isaiah 42, 1, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. And of course, we know this anointing was fulfilled when Jesus goes to the synagogue after he's born and declares himself in his own words in Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. But it goes way beyond that. Jesus is just not endowed or anointed with the Spirit of the Lord. Isaiah also tells us that he's anointed with the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so you just look at those attributes there. Wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, Knowledge in the fear of the Lord. Listen, that's the stuff every king, every ruler, every president needs to rule effectively. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ, the king, is endowed with by the very spirit of God. In other words, Jesus has the perfect combination of attributes to rule as our perfect righteous king yet all of this wisdom and power 
does not in any way challenge the very authority of God as human kings usually do in their pride and arrogance. Rather, according to verse 3, it tells us that his delight shall be wet in the fear of the Lord. And so God's spirit equips God's king to fulfill God's call. And the king himself, Jesus Christ, delights in the very fear and will of God. So see now, see with fresh eyes that the Savior, Jesus Christ, is perfectly qualified to rule this new world. He's endowed with the very Spirit of God. And so look forward in this new year. Look forward today to this coming King. Look forward to His future rule. Put your hopes on Him, not on some earthly king or president. He is a king like no one the world has ever seen. There is no deficiency in Him. There is no disappointment in Him. And so stand in awe of this king and long for His glorious rule to come on this earth. So what effect does it have? What impact? then does the Spirit's anointing have on Christ's rule? Well, this brings us to the third trait. See, see with your eyes. Number three, the absolute justice of Christ's rule. And that is he will judge with righteousness and faithfulness. And here we see a very clear contrast between the justice of Jesus Christ's rule and that of human judges in human governments. Look how Isaiah describes the justice of Christ's rule in verses 3 and 4. The contrast could not be more clear. It says, He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Now, human judgment, human governments uh, are very fleshly in how they rule, how they serve justice. In fact, There are fleshly motives behind the people in our governments, as you are well aware of, such as the desire for power, prestige, even personal biases and prejudices come into play. We understand that. There are fleshly methods, too. In contrast to Jesus Christ, uh, humans in their governments, in their rules, in the justice systems, they they judge by what they see with their eyes, and, and they do decide by what they hear with their ears. I mean, what else can we do as human beings? After all, man looks at the outward appearances, right? That's all we can do. But God alone can look at the heart. And then there's fleshly manner in the way that humanity rules with authority. I mean, Jesus put it this way. In Matthew 20, 25, he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they do what? They lord it over you. 
And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Why? Because it's a different kingdom, Jesus tells his disciples. Jesus goes on to describe how they love, that is, uh, these rulers, they love to be greeted in the marketplace. They love to sit in the seat of honor. In other words, they love the pomp and circumstance that comes with the prestige and power of being in, you know, in human governments in places of, of ruling. And perhaps the worst of all when it comes to human governments and rules are these fleshly miscarriages of justice where the innocent are condemned and the guilty are set free. But Jesus, in, in, as an antithesis of that, in contrast to that, Jesus judges perfectly, not by what he sees with his eyes, but what he sees inside of people's hearts. Therefore, his judgments will always be perfect and righteous. Unlike every human ruler, Jesus Christ is clothed not with the trappings of human ego, but according to verse 5, look at it. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness, the belt of his loins. In other words, here's what Isaiah is telling us. He's saying that righteousness and faithfulness are the very foundations of Christ's throne from which he rules from. And don't miss the power behind it all. The power behind his righteous judgment. Isaiah says in verse 4, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his what? Mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Now, that takes us back to the very beginning of God's word in Genesis 1.1. And what do we find? When God created the heavens and the earth, he spoke it into existence. And here we have the very same power coming from the mouth, the words, the lips of this king. Jesus has great power. And when he strikes the earth, it shakes In fact, I love the Apostle John. He gives us another picture of the second coming of Christ in all his glory and in all his power. In the very last book of the Bible, you go to Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Listen to what it says. This is John. And God gives him this vision. And he records it for us. And here's what John records. He says, I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth, it says, is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Listen, that's... That is the coming king. The one predicted right here in Isaiah 11. And with it comes absolute justice. He judges and makes war. Every human being 
Every person here today, listen, do you understand that every one of us here, we will appear before this king to give an account of our lives. There is no dodging or hiding from this king. At that judgment, Christ will weed out of his kingdom all those guilty of lawlessness and will destroy them eternally in a place called hell. While those who are saved by his grace will shine in perfect righteousness forever in his kingdom. And so let that sink in for a moment. Jesus Christ is our final judge. And someday, you and I, all of us here, we will stand before him to be judged. Here's what John sees in Revelation chapter 20. In verses 11 and 12, listen. He says, And I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dread, great and small, I mean the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So let me ask us a question here. Let me just throw it out to you. What will you do on that day, judgment day? How will you survive that perfect judgment? It says his eyes are like blazing fire. So how will you survive when the books are open and you have to give an account of your life before this king? On that day, listen, your only hope, your only hope is that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That through simple faith in Jesus Christ, all of your guilt of sin has been lifted from you and put on our substitute, Jesus Christ the Savior. This righteous Savior who never committed any sin, would stand in our place and take God's wrath upon himself so that we might be saved on this judgment day. In fact, in Matthew 25, Jesus himself tells us that to his sheep, that is, those who truly know Jesus Christ and saving faith, Jesus will say, according to Matthew 25, 34, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. But to the goats, he said goats, who's the goats? The goats represent those who do not know Jesus as their Savior and King. And Jesus will say to them, according to verse 41, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And so I plead with you this morning, if you haven't already, come to Jesus Christ. Come to this Savior. Come to this King in saving faith. 
Repent of your sin. Receive him as your savior and king if you haven't already. Listen, there is still, today is the day of salvation. It is still the day of salvation. But we do not know when that day will end. Jesus is coming and it could be any day. And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready to face the judgment of Christ's coming rule? The fourth trait of Christ's rule is that Isaiah wants us to see is the perfect peace of Christ's rule. See the perfect peace of Christ's rule. It is characterized by harmony in all of creation. Now, Christmas is the celebration of Christ's birth. It's a glorious time, right? We love Christmas. At least most people do. And it's the celebration of Christ's birth. But Isaiah here in chapter 11. In chapter 9, Isaiah paints a picture for us of the coming of Jesus' birth. But in here in Isaiah 11, he summons us not just to look back at Christmas or Christ's first coming, but also now to look forward to Christ's final coming at the end of the age. And although human government is ordained by God, listen, do you realize all governments, human governments, uh, have the authority uh, they are ordained by God. That's why, that's why Jesus tells us, render under Caesar, which is Caesar's. That's why Paul tells us in Romans chapter uh, 13 to obey human governments. And so although human government is ordained by God, listen, because of sin, when we know this, we know this from experience, we know this by, by watching this on the news, human governments are filled with strife and not peace. They're filled with injustice, not justice. We see constant strife with one government striving after another government for world domination. We see it all the time. We see it even now in our news. We see even constant strife within the same government. And we see that clearly even within our own U.S. government where one party is striving to stay in power and individuals striving for more power. But there is also strife between the human race and even nature itself as a result of sin and the subsequent curse that takes us back to Genesis chapter 3. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, he says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And it's groaning, and it's waiting, according to verse 21, to be liberated or set free from its bondage to decay. Well, Christ's rule, when it comes, is going to liberate it. Christ's rule is going to bring perfect peace, and it will be characterized by perfect harmony in all creation. Now, the picture that Isaiah gives us here is is rather phenomenal. I don't know if you caught it the first time when Kirk read it for us, but look at it again. The harmony of creation that will happen in the reign of Christ. Here in verses 6 through 9. It says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead them. 
The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, I'm no animal expert here. But I do know that you don't put sheep and wolves together in the same pen. That's not normal today. I also know that goats don't have sleepovers with leopards. And I know that the calf and the lion don't hang out together. And I know the cow and the bear don't eat together. And I also know that you don't let children play by a den of rattlesnakes. All this is common sense. We understand that in our society, in our world today. And yet, and yet, that's the beautiful effect of Christ's rule. We have perfect harmony in all creation. And so what we see here is really a return to earthly paradise like we had in the Garden of Eden. Only this time, it will be during the millennial kingdom, which is the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth that is spoken of in Revelation chapter 20. And the whole essence of Christ's rule is that all creation will be transformed. That is the effect of his rule. That's the power of his rule. The basic nature of animals will be changed in such a way that even animals will live in perfect harmony once again. And yes, Jesus has this kind of power. That's our king. He can change lions and wolves. He can change goats and lambs. And best of all, Jesus Christ, our Savior and King, he can change People like you and me. Listen, human governments fell. Man, we're in the middle of that. Human governments have failed throughout all of history. Why? Because human governments can't change the hearts of people. The heart, scriptures tell us, is desperately wicked. And until hearts are changed by Jesus Christ... There is no peace on earth. But that's what Jesus came to do in his first coming. And the consummation of his second coming is captured here in verse 9 when it says, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what we are longing for, folks. That's what will happen when Jesus comes again. Now look at the final trait of Christ's rule. See, Number five, the universal reach of Christ's rule. And what we see with this universal reach is that all God's people are gathered together into God's kingdom. Verses 10 through 12 stand as a a pinnacle for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the very ends of the earth. And so this humble king that Isaiah portrays for us The root of Jesse will stand as a banner, Isaiah says, before the eyes of the nations on the earth. Look what he says, Isaiah in verses 10 through 12. It says, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal. That word signal is also translated as banner. Stands as a signal, as a banner for the peoples. 
Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. And then he lists all these nations in places geographically that were around the God's people of Israel and Judah in that time frame. And at the end, he says, they will be gathered in the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. In other words, here's what Isaiah is painting for us. The picture, you've got to get in your mind, is that people from all over the world will stream to this banner. You say, what banner? It's the banner of Jesus Christ. It's the banner of his glorious rule. And they will come streaming to it, worshiping Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of their longing for a perfect king and a perfect society. The land he rules in this day will radiate with his glory. And all creation will worship him as the perfect king. Christ will reach out his sovereign hand and he will gather the scattered children of God and he will make us one people. This gathering and even regathering of God's people will be like the original exodus of Israel from Egypt, only this time it will now not just include Jews, but Jews and Gentiles. And don't miss what Isaiah says at the end of verse 10. Oh man, this is phenomenal. He says, and his resting place shall be what? Glorious. And his resting place shall be glorious. Some of you, when you go to work on Monday, that is not a glorious resting place. That is a stressful place. That is a chaotic place. That is a place where you labor. Just think, you're going to enter into God's rest. And there you will rest from all your labors. And it's going to be glorious, Isaiah says. And so all of God's people will be gathered together into God's kingdom where Christ will rule as the perfect king. Listen, that's our glorious hope in the triumph of the Savior's rule. So what now? What now? Here's the what now. Here's the all-important takeaway. Make sure you're included in Christ's promised kingdom. Make sure you're included in this kingdom. How? By trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior and King before it's too late. And so again, I plead with you. If you haven't already, listen, come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. Repent of your sin and receive him as your Savior and King before it's too late. This is the day of salvation. The age in which we live now is the day of salvation. But we don't know when this time frame is going to end. Jesus is coming And it could be any day now. And the question again is, are you ready? Are you ready? He could come tonight. It could be New Year's Eve. It could be New Year's Day. It could be a year from now, 10 years from now. We don't know when. Are you ready to face the judgment, though, of Christ's rule? Make sure 
that you, you're yourself, you look in your heart before God, and you make sure that you are included in Christ's kingdom by trusting in Jesus as your Savior and King. That's the what now to this picture that Isaiah paints for us here in Isaiah 11. But until Jesus comes again, how then should we live? For those of us here who are Christ followers, as you leave here this morning and as you enter into a new year, 2020, how then should you live in light of this coming perfect king and his perfect rule? Well, let me give you three takeaways. Number one, don't judge God's work by external appearances. Don't judge God's work by external appearances. Remember the shoot that comes up from a stump. When it seems like nothing is going on, a shoot springs forth. And so don't be in despair over the dead look of things in this world. Or perhaps even the, quote, dead look of things in your life, in the circumstances of your life. The reality is we live in a fallen, sinful world. And when we look around our life, it is ugly. It can be horrific. It can be painful. It can look like a dead stump and nothing is happening. And so let me encourage you, lift your eyes off of your circumstances. Lift your eyes off of social media. Lift your eyes off of this world and lift them to the king that is coming. Because if you keep your eyes what you can see in this world, you will live in despair and discouragement. Don't. Don't be in despair over the dead look of things. Don't be discouraged by what you see in just the stump. Yes, there are times when God's kingdom looks like it's been whacked down to nothing, but the shoot of Jesse will survive and thrive. And so keep faith in God's promise of the coming king who will rule with righteousness and faithfulness. Number two, man, ask for the wisdom of God. Beg for the wisdom of God and live in the fear of the Lord. If you lack wisdom in this coming new year, you know what James tells us to do? Ask God for wisdom on how to deal with it. Go to God and say, I don't know how to do what to do in this situation. I don't know what to do with my spouse. I don't know what to do with my child. I don't know what to do with the situation at work. I don't know what to do with the situation in my finances. But you do, Lord. So please give me your wisdom as I seek to follow you and obey you and live in the fear of you. Just like Jehoshaphat prayed in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. He says, we do not know what to do. But our eyes are upon you, O Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Look to him and ask him to give you his wisdom. And then commit to live in the fear of the Lord. Obey his commands and walk in his ways. And then number three is to be bold in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen, this is the day of salvation. This is the good news that we proclaim. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He came the first time to be our Savior, to die on the cross in our place for our sins so that we can be part of this coming rule for all eternity. That's the good news. Be bold in sharing it. 
advance Christ's rule by sharing the good news. And we have all kinds of tracks and tools at the Info Center to help you take steps in sharing the hope that we have in Jesus Christ as the perfect king who will rule the perfect kingdom. So let me encourage you this morning. Be encouraged as we embark on a new year. Leave here knowing that Christ's perfect rule is the glorious hope of God's people. Put your hope in this, the triumph of the Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the triumph of the Savior is our glorious hope. We thank you that he came the first time as our Savior. And Lord, we look forward to when he comes again as our King. And so even now, may we bend our knees before King Jesus. May we surrender our lives to his rule, knowing that this is where we find the ultimate joy and peace for our hearts and in nothing else. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I invite you to come back next Sunday again. Don't forget, worship service, 1045, no discovery hour. And so have a wonderful week, a safe week, but most of all, have a Christ-centered week. And lift your eyes to the King that is coming, even on New Year's Eve as you ring in a new year. Let's prepare for our morning offering, then we'll be dismissed.